0: The Lord be with you. All right, in a moment I will show you a picture and I will ask you to raise your hands depending on what you see. Yeah? All right. So let's see that picture. All right. Who here sees the face of a woman? Raise your hand. All right. Who here sees a man playing the saxophone? Who here sees Bill Clinton playing the saxophone? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. So it's fascinating that in one image we can see different things. And what I've noticed is our very short gospel reading today is one of these moments in which different people see very different things. So in Bible studies, I'll ask people what they see in this passage, and and I've heard people say, well, I see a woman responding beautifully to Jesus' healing power by devoting herself to the service of the disciples. Wow, that's great. And I've also heard people say, you know, what I see is Jesus healing the mom so she can cook dinner. Thanks, Jesus. And I also have seen people say, what I see is a woman who's been transformed by Jesus and now goes forth and does ministry as one of the disciples. And those are pretty different responses from this same passage. And I think... Looking at the original Greek really illuminates what's going on in this passage. So, it all kind of comes down to the very end of what we read, She Began to Serve Them. Now, those five words in English, in Greek, they're just two words, and I'm going to show them to you now. Diakone Autois. All right? Diakone Autois. So, I want to first of all, I want to focus on that second word, Autois, because in Greek, you can use the ending of a word to communicate what we, in English, use by putting in a preposition, yeah? So, autois is what's called a dative case. It means this is a word, it's the them part of the sentence, right? The them part, but it's in the dative case, which means it communicates an indirect relationship. When I was a Greek tutor, I would explain to students, You use the dative case when you're trying to use prepositions that you would use to describe a date, right? It's the dative case, yeah? So, you go to the movie with someone on your date, or you bring flowers for someone on the date, or you go to dinner on the date, right? With, to, for, those kind of prepositions are what it implies. So, she began to serve them. Could be she began to serve to them. She began to serve for them could also be she began to serve with them and i will say the preposition that you use in that place makes a big difference right there's a big difference between serving to someone serving for someone and serving with someone but even more interesting is that first word which if you look up in the dictionary the the entry will be diaconeo, and there's two main definitions One is to minister, and one is to serve. They're both equally valid translations, to minister or to serve. And in fact, there is a noun version of this verb, diakoneos, from which we get our word deacon, right? A deacon is someone who diakoneos. In our First Timothy text, we get the noun version of this same word. It's in verse, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, when it says, If you put forth these instructions to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. That's what it says in our translation. But what I enjoy doing is looking at different translations and seeing what they do with this same word that shows up in two different places. So, first of all, I'm going to show you our translation from the New Revised Stand Version. Right? She began to serve them, and when talking to first to Timothy, right? First Timothy is a letter written to a man named Timothy, who's a bishop. When it's used to describe him, it describes him as a good servant. But say you go back to the old King James translation. Well, the King James, in describing Simon's mother-in-law, will say she ministered unto them, and consistently, when it's talking about Timothy, it will describe Timothy as a good minister of Jesus Christ. Say you look at the the NIV, the New International Version. It says for the woman, she began to wait on them. But for the man, it says a good minister of Jesus Christ. As a reminder, those are the same words, but they have chosen to translate in two very different ways. Yeah? Yeah? Now, before we jump too much on the NIV for their choice of translation, I will say, there are good reasons to say that perhaps what Simon's mother-in-law was doing was to wait on them. After all, it says she began to do it in her own home. So, you know, it's maybe not public ministry. Uh, Also, there's no mention of her anywhere else in the Bible, so it's not like she became uh, a disciple important enough to be named. And finally, it would be very much in keeping with the culture of her time for the woman to essentially make dinner for the disciples. That would be how she would serve them, yeah? There's also some good reasons to translate it as she began to minister. Some of those reasons might be, well, you know, in this same chapter when her son-in-law becomes a disciple and follows Jesus, it says he does so immediately as he leaves his father's nets, right? if Simon Peter can become a disciple next to his boat, then surely his mother-in-law can become a minister in her own home. And also, yes, she is never named later in Scripture, but women are certainly described as following Jesus later in Scripture. So I've got another passage here from Mark chapter 15. This is as Jesus is being crucified. It says, There were also women looking on from a distance, and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and the young the younger, and Joseph and Salome. These used to follow him and provided for him when he was in Galilee, and there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. Women follow around Jesus as he does his ministry. And what I underlined there provided for him is once again. Diaconeo. You could translate that as and ministered with him when he was in Galilee. Yeah, So women clearly continue with Jesus and are a part of his ministry even after this one moment. The woman may not be named, but she could be part of that unnamed group of women that is with Jesus all the way to his end. And third, and I think this is perhaps the most important, that word... Well, yes, women culturally may have been expected to make dinner as their form of service. That verb is used throughout Mark's gospel in many other ways. The first time we see that verb used is after Jesus has been tempted by the devil in the wilderness. It comes, uh, it says that angels came and ministered to him. That same verb. And then also Jesus will say, you know, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be the first of my disciples, you must learn to be servant of all. You must learn to be a diaconos of all. And then Jesus will even say, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. To say, whatever it is that woman does as a response to Jesus' healing, that action is the action of angels, it is the action of disciples, it is the action of Jesus. And so because of that, this passage, in the way that it's written in the original Greek, what we see in it, if we see Simon Peter's mother-in-law, right if we see her response as doing chores, or if we see her response as taking a chance to do ministry, our perception of her response says a lot more about us and our belief than it does about the Bible. Yeah, Just like with that, illusion that I started with at the beginning. It says a lot about what we already believe before we start reading the Bible. Maybe what stories we've been told, what myths we've been led to believe. And we hear in 1 Timothy today that we should have nothing to do with profane myths or old wives' tales. Now, when 1 Timothy is being written, there is one myth in particular that they're responding to. And it's the myth that our bodies are bad. Scripture doesn't say that our bodies are bad, right? At the very beginning of Scripture, God makes everything, and everything that God makes, God sees, is good. That includes our bodies. But in ancient Greece, particularly starting with Plato, there was this idea that the physical world... It's just a pale imitation of the spiritual world. And so our goal should be to leave behind this physical world and make it to the spiritual world. And so in churches, people were taking this Greek pagan mythology and saying, well, as Christians, you shouldn't get married. You shouldn't make babies. You shouldn't enjoy good food, because that's putting far too much focus on your bodies, and our goals are to escape the body. 1 Timothy calls such teachings the teachings of demons. It calls it a profane myth because it goes against the very first thing we learn in the Bible, which is that everything created by God is good. And so 1 Timothy says, if you are being deceived by such things, use this as a litmus test to figure out if what you are being told is a profane myth or whether it's God's truth. And the litmus test is, does it agree that everything created by God is good? Because if it says your body is bad and therefore food is bad and connecting with someone else physically is bad, well, that, my friends, is a profane myth. God has made food, God has made our bodies, and they are good. And similarly, if you are being told that some people are no good, or that some people are good only for one thing and other people are only good for another thing, especially because of their race or their gender, my friends, that is a profane myth. Because God has made each and every single person and made them good. And yes, God gives us each unique spiritual gifts, different talents and skills, but those are handed out by the will of the Holy Spirit, not according to categories that are convenient for humans. That said... First Timothy also makes clear, God makes everything good, but those good things can be used in ways that are unhelpful. And so, after saying God has made everything good, and therefore nothing should be rejected, 1 Timothy adds this caveat. Provided it is received with thanksgiving. Right? Everything created by God is good and should not be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving. Because look, can men cook? Yes, of course. Does my wife give thanks when I cook dinner? Only if she's in the mood for rice and beans, yeah? Does she give thanks when I clean the kitchen every day? Very much so, yeah. Similarly, can women preach and teach the gospel? Well, of course they can. At Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appears first to women and tells them to proclaim the good news of his resurrection to the male disciples. Do men always give thanks when women preach and teach them? Depends a lot on the culture, yeah? So, Paul writes a letter to the Galatians. The Galatians are Gaelic, yeah? They're Celts. In Celtic society, women had a strong role in public life. Uh, There were Celtic warrior queens like Boudicca who led a revolt against the Roman Empire. To the Galatians, Paul writes, "...there is no longer Gentile or Jew, slave or free male and female." For all are one in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you can imagine, in a Galatian church, a woman standing up in church and preaching. But Paul also writes many letters to Greek congregations. And in ancient Athens, you'd know you made it as a man when you had enough money that your wife never had to leave the house. That was your goal, for your wife to never leave the house. Women were not welcome in public life. And so perhaps it's not shocking that to the Greek Corinthians and even to the Greek Timothy, Paul will say things like, maybe don't have women talk in church. Maybe don't have women teach. This is not a commentary or a restriction on women in general. This is a recognition of one culture in particular. It's a commentary about them, the Greeks, rather than about women as a whole. Because there's a recognition that it won't be received well. But here's the thing. Ministry, no matter how good it is, no matter how good the intention behind it, if it's not received with thanksgiving, it's worthless. If someone can't receive the gift of love that you are trying to give them in Christ's name, If they can't receive it with thanksgiving, it's not going to do its job. And look, I've been in contexts where my opinion as a man was not appreciated, right? It was not received with thanksgiving. And in fact, regardless of your gender, if you were to go to Safe Space, which we hosted here, a winter shelter we hosted here for the past two weeks, Folks come in and sleep in our fellowship hall instead of being on the street. They receive dinner. If you went to them when they came in and said, hey, guess what? Today, instead of dinner, I want to give you something even better. I want to give you the Word of God in a 40 minute sermon. It's not going to be received with thanksgiving, right? That's not going to go over well. And I think that brings us to really the third myth that our gospel today reveals. And it is the profane myth that work with words that affect minds is more important than work with hands that affects bodies. The myth in church that standing up and preaching is somehow real ministry when cooking dinner in the kitchen is not. This is a profane myth. It is a profane myth because many of you cook dinner for our guests at Safe Space. And when you cook dinner for our guests, you shared Christ's love with them in a way that was much more meaningful than my words ever could. It is a profane myth because God made our bodies and made them good, made us to take care of each other's bodies. God saw bodies were so good that God chose to have a body as Jesus Christ. I wear a collar, because to be a minister is to be a servant. They are one and the same. The Greek word for minister and servant is the same word, because there is no difference between those two two things. And so, yes, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, she's healed, she begins to do something... Is it ministry? Yes. Is it service? Yes. Did she begin cooking? Probably. Did she begin talking? Probably. It doesn't tell us exactly what she does, but it does tell us that as soon as she begins doing it, crowds start coming to this house. Crowds come to be healed by Jesus. And my bet is... What happened that evening is what happens throughout history when unexpected guests show up to a house where there is a mother-in-law and a son-in-law. And this has happened. My mother-in-law is here with me today. Yes? So I mean, guests are coming. Mother-in-law starts saying, all right, here, I need you to move the furniture. Yeah, I need you to get out the dishes. Why don't you stir the pot for me? Because we got guests to minister to. Yeah." serving and instructing and teaching all at the same time. My bet is when those crowds came and people showed up at that house hurting, needing healing, wondering if Jesus could change their lives, my bet is Simon Peter's mother-in-law put a bowl of soup in their hands and then sat down next to them and said, Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me, because he can do it for you also. She is in that moment both a servant and a minister because they are one and the same. And my bet is, when Jesus leaves that house in that town the next day, she goes with him. My bet is she's one of those unnamed women that follows Jesus in her ministry. And is it hard work? Yeah. But does she consider it a chore? No, she sees it as a chance to share with others the gift that she has received from Jesus. Or in the words that First Peter say today, We toil and struggle because we look with hope upon our living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Every single day, we have tasks to do tasks that involve taking care of our bodies or the bodies of our loved ones. We cook dinner, we do the dishes, we fold laundry. And there is a profane myth that goes back to ancient times that such work, taking care of bodies, is nothing but a chore. A distraction from our real work of spiritual ministry. That is a profane myth, my friends. God has given us bodies and made them good. And part of our calling as followers of Jesus is to care for those bodies. First Timothy tells us today not only to have nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales, but also to train ourselves in godliness. So we want to help you this season of Lent to train yourself in godliness, for seeing what we are called to through God's eyes, not through our profane eyes. Yeah, And to do that, we want to invite you to recognize all that service you do in the material world, as Christ's ministry. So, for example, Annette Jefferson, where is she? she's over here, for 15 years has cooked dinner at the Torres shelter, feeding hungry people. Is that Christ's ministry? Oh, you better believe it is. Uh, we got Kim Schwader over here. Yeah, he, he volunteers at the city's animal shelter. Is that Christ's ministry? You better believe it is. Uh... Mark Kimmelschew, for years, has volunteered on the board of Enloe and Golden Valley Bank, is making sure our community has a functional hospital and a functioning bank, Christ's ministry? You better believe it is. And so we want them and all of you, each Sunday in Lent, to on the back of the bulletin write how many hours you have done Christ's work outside of this congregation and say where you've done it. And then we want you to put those things in the offering plate And my bet is, in the 40 days of Lent, we as a congregation can do 1,000 hours of ministry in our community. And I want to invite people who aren't just here in Chico to do that. If you're worshiping with us online, do ministry wherever you are. Email it to the office. Send us pictures so we can see what's happening. And here's the thing. If you aren't in any way doing ministry outside this congregation during Lent, My bet is you are. But if you're not, we have for the next three weeks after worship booths with organizations here in Chico that you can learn about where you can sign up to do ministry, service, whatever you want to call it, during the season of Lent. Maybe you sign up to do just one hour because you're like, "Ah, I don't want to like have this chore all of Lent. My bet is when you do it, you will discover it is not a chore but a chance to share with others the goodness that God has given you. But even before that, I want you to start with this. Each morning when you make yourself breakfast, or each night when you wash your dishes or fold your laundry, remind yourself this isn't a chore that I have to do. This is a chance given to me by God to love the body that God has given me and made good. This is a chance to care for and love the bodies of my family. Give thanks that you have a chance to do that. And when someone serves you food, or folds your laundry, or washes your dishes, thank them. Thank them for doing the ministry of disciples, for doing the ministry of angels, for doing the ministry of Jesus. And may we do it also. Amen.